0: My name's Jason, I'm one of the pastors here at Covenant Church, and uh, thank you guys for joining us this morning. Uh, We're going to be in Acts 4, if you want to go ahead and turn there, and I want to talk to our kids just for one minute. Hey, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for being in here with us this morning, and I'm going to try to not scream too much this morning, not to scare you, that's my goal for the day. Uh, But two things I want to tell you. Uh, First, uh, kids, God wants to speak to you today. We're going to read a verse later that talks about Jesus, Jesus talking to his disciples and telling them... To enter God's kingdom, you must come like these children. Kids, you have this beautiful gift of, being, of having this childlike faith. And I just want to tell you this morning, the creator of the universe wants to speak to you. So write, write down as, as we read things and things jump out at you or you have questions about, write those questions down. Draw a picture. Let God speak to you this morning. And second thing, uh, as you're sitting there, look at your parents. Because your parents do a lot of great things. They love you, they take care of you, they feed you, hopefully. Uh, they discipline you, they teach you, they do all these great things. And they're, they're an authority over you. Listen to your parents, honor and obey, right? Do those things. But here's the truth. Your parents have an authority as well, and it's God. And it's God's word. And your parents are here, and they're sitting, and they're listening, and they're taking notes because their souls need to grow need to learn. Your parents need to learn how to honor and how to obey. Because we as a family of God are all together becoming more like Christ. That's why I love these Sundays when you're in here with us as this big, loud, sometimes family that we are, and we get to learn together. So kids, this is a great Sunday for you to be in here. So we're in Acts 4, and I was thinking this week as I was looking at this text, and when I was a kid, um, long, long time ago, many many hairs ago when I was a kid. And uh, I had two friends on my street. Well, I had lots of friends. That was really cool. I had two friends in particular, though. Um, Ricky Racine and Nick Raff. Guys, if you listen to the podcast, how are you doing? Hope you're good. Um, Ricky Racine and Nick Raff. My mother did not like me hanging out with Ricky Racine. Now, Nick Raff, when Nick saw my mom, he gave her a hug. He was a Luke Allen of kids. He would give her hugs. He would say, how are you doing? Had great manners. Always worked hard. Was just this good... All-American kid, but Ricky Racing found fireworks, we'd steal stuff, we'd do all kind of crazy things. And there was this thing, my mom could always tell who I'd been around. So I'd get home, and my attitude, if you have older kids in here, you, you know this. You can tell who your kids have been around during that day, right? That many times, who we're around is kind of how we act. Who we are with determines many times how we live our lives. Now, high school and college, that gets even worse. Like, who you run in high school and college really defines in many ways who you become. Now, as adults, things begin to change, especially nowadays things have changed. We've kind of moved away from following necessarily people. Now we have these tribes in our world and our country. And these tribes many times define who we are. We have political tribes. We have sports tribes. We have, like, hobbies tribes. We have, uh, we have all these different kind of collection of people that come together and who, what tribe we're a part of, we even have religious tribes. Like, you know, I'm in this camp in Christianity, I'm in this camp in Christianity, or I'm in this political kind of sphere, or I, I like these kind of things, or I like these kind of sports and these kind of teams. We have all of these tribes that many times we can tell, I can tell what tribe you're a part of by how you spend your life how you spend your money and your social media, honestly. Those things, we can clearly see who we are following, who we have put ourselves around. What we have saturated our minds with is the tribe we're a part of and nowadays, many times, defines how we live our lives and how people see us. Look at Acts 4.13 with me. Verse 13 says this, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, uneducated, common men. They were astonished. And here is the, 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 the meat of today for us. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I've prayed all week for you guys because I know many of you in here are walking with God and you're tired and you're beat up. Many of you are in here and you're far away from God. You don't even know why you're here. And you're tired and you're beat up. And we sing these songs today about how our debt is paid. How his love crashes over us. How he is for us. And my prayer and my hope today is that we see Jesus for who he truly is. And that we first are astonished by Jesus. And through that worship, through that amazement, that we we begin to be changed. So my question starting to for us right now. Here's our attention. Can anyone tell that you have been with Jesus? If your kids, your family, your co-workers, your neighbors, those people in your sphere of influence, do they see Jesus in you or do they see this kind of secular tribe that you're a part of? Whether it's political, social, it could be a, it could be a church tribe. Listen, there's no banner of covenant church. When God comes back, he's not going to be like, oh, covenant church. Oh, yeah, come on, guys, you're front row. No. There is God, and here is his kingdom. That is it. There is one tribe that this church strives to be a part of, the tribe of Jesus Christ. That's it. But the truth is, we let many things distract us. Let me ask you this. Is anyone around you astonished with your life? And Listen, it says here they were uneducated and they were common men. Not how smart you are, how good you are, or charismatic you are. Do they see Jesus and they're astonished? See, the beauty of Acts, as we're in this series, and Acts 4 today, is that we get this window. So Jesus spent three years pouring his life into these people. They lived, they saw, they experienced the message and life of Jesus Christ. And they saw him die. They saw him resurrect. They saw him ascend. Then the Holy Spirit came. And from that point forward, we get this picture. We get this movie. We get this story of what it actually looks like to follow Jesus in almost this unfiltered way, where the Holy Spirit's doing the special work during the special season with the people who literally walked with Jesus. It's the Sermon on the Mount lived out. As you look at Jesus' words, many times, like, What's he saying here? What's he meaning here? How is this turned upside down? Well, the book of Acts gives us this picture, this glimpse, what that looks like. And we have so much today to learn, to be challenged by, and to be encouraged by with the book of Acts. So today, we're going to read all of Acts 4. It's a lot to read, but I want us to see this big picture of where we're at in the the midst of Acts. Verse 1, and as they were speaking to the people... The priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody till the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000. It's a good day. It's a good ministry day right there. On the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. With Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they, had, when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power, or by what name, did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, underline that, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and the elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, By what means this man has been healed? Real quick, we saw in Acts 3, they healed this this crippled man. And so they're asking, okay, what happened here? What is going on here? Peter's telling them this. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, isn't that how he just throws that in there? Whom you killed, basically. Congratulations. Um, Whom God raised from the dead by this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. They recognized they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them They had nothing to say in opposition. When they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more. So they called them and charged them to speak to, to all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot speak, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go. Finding no way to punish them, because the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So we see here, they're in front of these people, these leaders these religious leaders, and they ask them, what happened? And they told them, the guy you crucified killed his name from the dead, basically. And so from there, like, okay, well, we can't deny that he's walking now. He's right here walking. We can't deny that, but stop saying this. And so Peter and John, they say, well, we can't do that. Okay, we'll see you later. And so they go, and they go, and we see here in verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friend's These people trusted in the sovereignty of God. Verse 27. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That story is captivating. That story is, their faith is so challenging. So we get this window of what it looks like to be with Jesus and then how you live life. The first thing here, being with Jesus led to great boldness. Being with Jesus led to great boldness. Look at Jesus' words here in Matthew 10. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. Jesus told them what was going to happen. We're seeing it now lived out and fleshed out. To bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious. How you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speaks, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. We see these words right here now lived out in this story. Think about Peter, right? Right? So Peter's the one basically every five minutes saying, hey, you killed Jesus. Hey, you killed Jesus. Hey, you killed, this is just extreme boldness, right? So we see in Peter's life, we see this big story, right? Where he is this man who denied Jesus three times. In Jesus' biggest hour of need, Peter, the guy who built the church, right? This great man of God. He denied Jesus three times. This guy's the one that has this great boldness now. Well, what happened? how this great boldness come two things the resurrection the ascension peter saw this man who was crucified resurrect and be ascended and then he waited for the power of the holy spirit through the resurrection through the holy spirit great boldness comes listen many of us are not bold hear this many of us here are not bold because we don't truly believe in the resurrection Listen, if we truly believe that Jesus Christ was a man who was also God and lived a life and was crucified and then rose again, that would change your life. Wouldn't it? That's what started the church. But many of us in here, we believe in a very, very shallow and hollow faith, which means do good things and show up a few times a month, give some money and we're good. But this church right here, with, that's foreign to God's church. In God's church, there's great boldness because of the resurrection. Now, some of us in here are not bold because we're just not filled with the Holy Spirit. We are filled with lots of things, lots of information, lots of entertainment, but not the Holy Spirit. And so we are weak, we are hollow, and we are afraid. And also, many times we're just bold about the wrong things, right? Well, we're bold about the tribe we love the most. We're really bold about political opinions. We're really bold about our thoughts on the president. We're really bold about our thoughts and the way our schools should be run. We're really bold on all these different things in the world. But we're not bold about the things of Jesus. Because sometimes we don't truly believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're not filled with the Holy Spirit. We're filled with all kinds of useless, pointless information and trivial things. Look at verse 23. When they get back, so you got Peter and John, they come back and they report this. They told them to not preach the gospel anymore. They come back to their people, right? They came back to their church. and They said, okay, we, we were just arrested. We were told not to preach anymore. And the next verse says, then they boycott the Sadducees. That's what it says, right? No, it doesn't say that. What does it say? What did they pray for? They prayed... For boldness. Can you imagine if Luke was arrested this week? By the Bossier City Council. (laughs) And came the next Sunday and said, hey guys, I was arrested this week. They said, do not preach. We would be marching, getting signs, doing all these things. Because our hope is in the wrong things. Those people had been with Jesus. They were there when he died, and there was no hope at all. And they saw him rose again and then ascend, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and have great hope and great purpose. In church, we should carry on that same tradition. Not this Western, hollowed out version of Christianity, but the church of Jesus Christ that we see here in Acts, birthed by the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is the church today. And that church has great boldness. We have no fear because Jesus died and he rose again. Who can be against us? No matter what happens in this world, no matter what phone call you get, you can have great boldness. They had been with Jesus. Being with Jesus leads to great power. They saw Jesus do the supernatural over and over and over again. He turned water into wine. He fed 5,000 with a few loaves of bread and some fish. He cast out demons. He healed the lame. He rose people from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. They saw the life and the ministry and the power of Jesus lived out before them. And before Jesus left and went away, he said this in John 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now we see the result of them being with Jesus and what he showed them, what he taught them. They healed this man with the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Look at verse uh, 14. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But they commanded him to leave the council. They conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For this notable sign has been performed through them that is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. We cannot deny it. They had nothing to say in opposition. They could not deny it. Listen, people could deny Jesus around you, but they cannot deny the power of Jesus in you. And what I mean by that is, as we go out in this world, There are people who are going to be against the gospel, against Jesus, and they're going to say things to you and do things to you, but if there is truly the power of Jesus living inside of us, they cannot deny that. And many times, the power of Jesus is simply this, a changed life. It means you shut up more. I'm sorry, you be quiet more. Kids are in the room. It means many times you're just slow to speak. For many of you, that's the power of God in your life right there. There is patience when people can understand it, that's the power of God in your life. When the phone call comes about the sick parents or the check doesn't come, there's not worry because the power of God's inside of you and it's real. Those are the things that people cannot deny. Many times we try to win arguments or prove points or do this or do that. We simply sit there and let the power of God reign over us, through us, and around us. People see those things and they're captivated by those things, not our arguments. Where is the power of God evident in your life? What are the things in your life that people can't deny? Where is the thing in your life where you say, only God did this? Are those things in your life, are they evident to people? Are they evident to you? Or is your life powerless? You feel completely weak and vulnerable, hopeless and powerless. That is foreign to Jesus' Christianity. Next thing, being with Jesus led to great generosity. Matthew 6, Jesus told them to not worry about what they would eat or drink or what to wear. Jesus told them to not put their treasure in the things of this world. He turned this thing upside down, right? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. That is the message and the life of Jesus. Look at verse 32 through 37. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. Let me say that again. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. They said, this car is not mine. This house is not mine. These clothes are not mine. These things are not mine. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. If this is not tough for American Christians to hear, I don't know what is. And they laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is seek first the kingdom of God in action. This is what seeking God's kingdom first looks like. This is what not treasuring things on earth looks like. This is the picture that Jesus Christ gave his life for. For the world to see, this is a picture of God's kingdom lived out in the every single day. But here's the issue for us. Many of us, it is this idea of seek first our kingdom. Right? Right? We seek first our kingdom. And then all these things are added unto us. If it's our kingdom, it's my kingdom, then it's my responsibility. Which means if my wife is not happy, it's on me. Which means if my kids don't act right, it's on me. Which means if I get sick, it's on me. So I have this kingdom I've created, and all the things I've added are worry, anxiety, fear, stress, powerlessness. I have nothing to show for because I'm living for my kingdom. What are the things in your life that you see right now, as you seek your kingdom first? What are the things in your life that have been added unto you? What are the fears? As you're here today, I don't know how you got here, or why you're here, or what's going on in your life at all. But what are the things that are driving you? Being with Jesus led to great boldness, great power, and great generosity. Here's a question. Can people tell that you have been with Jesus? Is there boldness about you, about the message of Jesus? Is there power in your life that is evident to people around you? Are you open-handed and generous with your time, your talents, and your money and your stuff? Can people see those things in you? Or are you sitting here and, like, and you feel like overwhelmed and like you are just so far off the track? This is where our tension is. This is where for us, the question has to be answered. Do you truly want to be with Jesus? I cannot answer that question for you. Listen, I, I, I pray for you. I pray for my own soul. Let me t- let me, let me share this story. So Thursday, Tracy asked me, how's the message coming? And I'm like, oh, It's coming. And she's like, what's kind of the idea? And I was like, well, the main point is to be with Jesus. And then I confessed to her on Thursday, all week long, I had not desired to be with Jesus at all. That all week long, I had felt this spiritual attack, spiritual heaviness, just kind of, uh, I guess, in a funk, so to speak. And I didn't, and I was just really burdened by that. And I tell you this because this is just the battle of our lives. And you're here And listen, for us, we have so much knowledge at our hands nowadays. We know so much stuff. And we have so many resources that many times we feel like we don't need Jesus. If we don't need Jesus throughout our week, we just kind of live our lives. And listen, our jobs are still there. Things still happen. We still kind of function. But listen to this. You are hardwired for a relationship with Jesus Christ. and and the holes, and the pieces, and the things in your life that are just not fitting, it's because you are hardwired for so much more. You are hardwired for a relationship with Jesus. You're hardwired to obey Jesus. You're hardwired to invite others into your kingdom, not live this monotonous, robotic, everyday kind of life. You're You're invited to this great story of God. You're wired for eternity. You're wired for so much more. But it starts with this question right here. Do you desire, do you feel the calling to truly be with Jesus? Because that's where it all starts. So the question is this right here. What does being with Jesus actually look like? We see here really three things. The first here is faith. Listen, it took faith for the disciples to follow Jesus when he called them. It took faith to preach such a bold message by Peter. This is how Jesus describes this kind of faith. Matthew 18. After the time of the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children. Church, hear this. Unless you turn and become like children. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. There has to be childlike faith in Jesus. Childlike faith in the resurrection, where you said this right here. Jesus rose, so whatever. Like, Jesus rose from the dead, so whatever he says goes, right? Because I can pick up something, my kids say I can do anything in the world, right? Because I can do this, they will follow me. Because Jesus rose from the dead, as children, we say, okay, Father, we follow you. No matter what it is, I don't understand it, I don't feel it, I don't get it, but because you did this, I will follow you. Childlike faith. Childlike faith leads to entering God's kingdom and being adopted into his family. Listen, grown people are not adopted, only kids are adopted. So we enter God's kingdom as children with childlike faith. Childlike faith is what makes us spiritual adults. Too many of us have this kind of faith that says we can do it and we stay spiritual infants. But childlike faith leads to us being spiritual adults and one day being spiritual parents. We see God at work in people around us through us having childlike faith. Childlike faith is our new identity. This is where it's so hard for us. We have so much Right here on these phones, we have all the knowledge that we could ever want in the world. But I see this so much. Knowledge puffs up. Because we have knowledge, we get away from the resurrection. From that simple truth that Jesus came, he lived, he died, he resurrected, he ascended, he's coming again. Because knowledge puffs up. Stuff distracts us, gets our attention, gets our heart, gets our allegiance. And we get distracted. Childlike faith is tough. Listen, it's this idea, um, if you give me a a, a toy for $1,000, this is what childlike faith is. You give me a toy for $1,000, I'm like, well, well, no, you spent too much money on that. I can get this myself. I can do this. You give that kind of toy to my kids, what do my kids say? Ah, thank you, this great toy. That is childlike faith, where you just accept. So this week... on Monday, Hayes has been having uh, nightmares, which is normal for a kid, I'm, I'm hoping. And, uh, and uh, he was saying he was seeing monsters at night, and he was so scared. That's not like Hayes at all. And he, uh, I said, okay, well, I'm going to pray for you. And I just put my hands on his head, and I prayed for him. He knew what I was doing. He's like, what in the world is daddy doing right now? And uh, he probably thought we were wrestling. And I sat there and prayed for him. And that night, I guess he had no dreams. And the next day he wakes up, Dad, what was this? And, um, and so he goes to Tracy, tries to do it to Tracy real quick. Um, and the next night, um, he said, Dad, do this again. The next night, Dad, do this again. Next night, we've done it every night this week. That's just childlike faith. That um, He doesn't understand that. I'm not, I'm not saying that hey, he's a prophet, but he means, <laughs> trust me, trust me on that. But there is this spirit that, that is so hard for us in the West to understand. Because tomorrow you can get whatever you want, most people. You can find out whatever you want. But there has to be this childlike, just desperate need that, listen, nothing else works. Nothing else is worth living for. I'm throwing this out and just holding my hands up because all I want is Jesus. That's childlike faith. So our battle is this identity. So you hear about the church, right? So this childlike faith leads to this new identity as a son and a daughter of Jesus. And our battle is a battle of identity. So you hear the early church talking about giving their stuff away. They own nothing. What is mine is yours. what yours is mine. The whole idea. And you just thought, man. And the enemy comes in and attacks. So God tries to convict and point you towards grace. The enemy comes in and attacks and says, Jason, you are not enough. Jason, you were too greedy. Or Jason, you earned this money. They don't deserve this. You did this, this, and this for your money. And so all those attacks are attacks on identity. You're greedy. You're not enough. You did too much for this. Those are attacks on our identity. Mike Green says this. Settling our identity in the midst of temptation is the key to an empowered life. Let me say it again settling our identity in the midst of temptation is the key to an empowered life. When we truly understand how to live as children at all times, and when we feel conviction to not let the enemy come in and accuse us of not being worthy, not being good enough, or wanting these things more, with childlike faith to know, God is my father. I have nothing to fear, Nothing to worry about. Nothing to seek after. He has perfect plans for me. As a child, that is our battle in the midst of temptation. We have to learn to fight for identity. And then we come back to this identity over and over and over again. That is the bread of life. Is this identity of being a child of God. Listen, we can't seek His kingdom first if we're still trying to earn our way into His kingdom. Hear this. We can't be a part of his kingdom if we're still trying to earn our way into God's kingdom. Childlike faith. And today is, is this chance, this invitation for you to enter God's kingdom as a child. You see, they had this great faith, this childlike faith, but they were also filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says this. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. This is straightforward. How do you get drunk with wine? Don't answer. You embarrass yourself. Uh, you drink, and you drink, and you drink, and you drink, and you drink, till so you're just drunk with wine, right? Well, how do we drink of the Holy Spirit? Romans 8.5 says this. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit's. We set our mind on the things of the Spirit. We are saturated with the things of God. Too many times we're filled, we're saturated with other things. And we have no power of the Holy Spirit. I call this the principle of showing up. As with as ch- childlike faith, we come in, we just show up because we know that we are needy. Right? With childlike faith, we just show up. We show up To just sit under God's word by ourselves at our house, reading God's word, filling our minds with the things of God. We just show up to gatherings with other brothers and sisters and we confess sins, confess struggles, and hear the good news, the principle of just showing up. We show up and we serve those around us and we set our minds on these things. We show up on a gathering on Sundays and we hear songs and we hear preaching and we take communion to set our minds, to drink the Spirit of God and be filled with the Spirit. I I confessed to my huddle a few weeks ago um, that um, I didn't want to come that night. Have you ever been there? On a Sunday or gathering and you just would much rather just sit at home, it's raining outside and you just want to do this, this, and this. And and the enemy just pounces. Oh, you're tired, your kid has a runny nose or you don't feel good or it's raining outside, whatever it is. And the enemy pounces. Um, but many times, if we just learn the habit, church, of just showing up as children. Like, as children, we know that we need to eat. We've got to read God's word daily. We've got to spend time in prayer. We have to be around other believers and confess sins and be encouraged. We have to sit under teaching. We have to just show up and set our mind on the things of the spirits. They had childlike faith. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And last, They had obedience. They had obedience. This is that idea of Jesus, you hear the word of God, you hear your identity in Christ, then you obey and you follow. On that person has a solid foundation, right? We hear and we obey. Even when we don't fully understand and feel it, we live and obey as children of God. We show up, we are generous, even when we don't feel like it or understand it, because we are, we are children of God who own nothing. And here's the beauty of this. You don't obey to gain an identity. Your identity is already secure in Christ. But obedience, what it does do for sure is reinforce your identity. When you get out there and you love others who are unlovable, who are tough, and you do the tough things, that reinforces that who I am is a child of God. But many times we fill our mind and our life with frivolous things and then we sit at home and we do nothing and we wonder why we have this small faith and we're not filled with the Spirit and there's no fruit in our lives. We must come with childlike faith, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then go out and obey the things God has called us to do. And now the fun part comes. People start being with Jesus by being around you. As we enter God's kingdom with childlike faith and come back over and over again to this bread of life, and we fill our hearts and minds with the things of the spirit and fill with the spirits, and we obey the things God has called us to do. People will see Jesus in your life. People will experience Jesus in your life, and then you'll boldly declare to them why you have this hope, why you have this life. And, and we'll begin to see neighborhoods, cities. Little pockets of our world become to look more like God's kingdom, more like this church we see in Acts. We're all writing a part of this story today. I would encourage you to get involved in God's story. Enter with childlike faith. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what baby it's called you to do. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Lord, I thank you for the good news and the gospel message that you came lived a perfect life, you died, three days later you rose again, and you rose up, and you ascended to heaven. That news gives us everlasting hope. Father, I pray that you do a work in our hearts right now. That you will help us um, foolish adults come with childlike faith that we see this great picture of your church lived out in Acts through your life and your death and resurrection, Lord, and we desire to see that kind of thing lived out here, Lord. Let us first enter your kingdom over and over again with childlike faith. Let us commit to being filled with the Holy Spirit. And Father, let us obey what you have called us to do. Father, do a supernatural work in our hearts right now. Pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take communion now. Uh, today's a little different. It's going to be silent communion. There's going to be prayer prompts on the screens that really tell us this right here. Remind us to enter a childlike faith, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and to obey what God has called us to do. I would encourage you over the next few minutes to wrestle with God, to wrestle with your heart on what God is kind of leading you in today. Um, I'll be in the back if you want to pray with the pastor. Uh, communion is for uh, God's church. If you have not entered God's kingdom through childlike faith, I would encourage you to sit this one out. You have to be a member of our church to take this. Um, But uh, take some time uh, and just wrestle with these things. Come when you're ready.